0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Michael kissed. You caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak.
2: You never listen.
1: It's the and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 186, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bling Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine... Is it nine years or ten years now, Ben? Ten years.
2: Yeah. No, as I come... I shared with somebody. You missed it. I got over it. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, whole decade, man. Imagine being sad once. Could never be me, will never be me.
1: Never had a bad day. Ten years. Benjamin Solak. Ben, brother, how you doing?
2: Oh, I mean, everything is delicious. I'm home for the week, so I'm back in PA. Uh, I'll be driving through Philly on my way, my way to DC, actually, which is I'm, I'm staying over with a friend and then flying out of DC. So I don't make a Philly stop on this trip, but it is nice to be in Pennsylvania again and see things on the horizon, you know, like shapes. <laughs> Elevation changes. This is not the uh the, the far stretching horizon of the Midwest, that's for sure.
1: So you've come home. Raheem Mostert should come home, which we're gonna talk hey, about later in the show. Transitions. <laughs> well, we're not gonna talk about that yet. Uh first off, I mean this is like the the big news in Philly right now. So the Deshaun Jackson saga continues after his sharing of a fake Hitler quote. And that's fun. And uh several apologies later. Uh, Also, Alshon Jeffrey, Marquise Goodwin, and Malik Jackson, Malik being the most vocal in terms of his defense of Jackson and Farrakhan, who Deshaun has promoted, which I vehemently disagree with and is the entire reason I'm so skeptical of those apologies from Deshaun. Uh, Also, what's going on is Deshaun liked a post stating that he shouldn't have had to apologize, which is the opposite of what the Eagles have asked him. And according to NBA player Steven Jackson, the Eagles threatened to cut Deshaun, which he claims is more than what the Eagles did to Riley Cooper when he found himself under fire for some particularly disgusting and racist language, and we all know what that was. So there are a lot of layers here, and and seeing as this particular part hasn't been addressed on this feed yet, Riley Cooper, Okay. So Steven Jackson said that Deshaun shouldn't have to apologize if Riley Cooper didn't have to. And I want to work through the timeline of how that went down back then. Uh, Mm -hmm. At the time, the Eagles condemned Cooper's use of a racial slur. Cooper issued an apology. The Eagles fined him an undisclosed amount of money. What happened next was Chip Kelly and the organization had Cooper go to sensitivity training. They decided to keep him on the roster. And then he had a breakout year with over 800 yards and eight touchdowns in that next season. Then the Eagles extended him. So I wanted to clarify the timeline because it wasn't like, oh, he said the N-word. And then a week later, they extend him. And I'm not excusing it, by the way. I'm just clarifying the timeline. I'll also note that two notable players in that locker room at the time vouched for Cooper in Michael Vick. And Jason Avant, my opinion of that is that in 2013, black players did not feel comfortable using their voices in the manner in which black players are using them in 2020. And it's not even close. And that's its own problem that may have contributed to the support of Cooper by those players. And I hope that we've seen a significant shift in that regard, like in the last seven years. And, And to be fair, there were other players that did say that their relationship with Cooper would not be the same. But even that, I think, is a rather light statement compared to what would have been said for the reasons I just mentioned, and that's frustrating on its own level. Ultimately, the Eagles handled the situation poorly, in my opinion, and they set a flawed precedent. Does that mean that the Eagles should have cut Cooper? I don't know. But Steven Jackson's portrayal of that situation is just factually incorrect. Now, does Cooper not being cut mean that Deshaun Jackson should not be cut? No. Should Deshaun Jackson be cut? Again, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Those two things aren't related to me. If you put a magnet on your own moral compass to excuse bad behavior due to past instances of bad behavior, you're never going to get anywhere. All you've done is lower the bar to the point where all is permitted. That does not excuse how the Eagles handled Cooper, which again was wrong, but the Cooper situation happening seven years ago does not exonerate Deshaun. And you have every right to... To be upset with how the Eagles dealt with Cooper and how a section of the fan base banged the table for him and pretended to know what was in his heart with no possible way of knowing. But this is not and should not be, oh, my neighbor kicked a dog and got away with it so I can go kick a different dog and be free of consequence. So where I stand with this right now is this is obviously, like I said, an ongoing saga. There are a lot of layers. There are a lot of different players getting involved. Here's where I stand. Racism against blacks should not be tolerated. Racism against Jews should not be tolerated. As I said right now, I don't believe Deshaun should be cut. But he cannot continue to fan the flames without the Eagles at some point saying that when you speak or tweet or Instagram, etc., you represent the Eagles. Represent the Eagles in a manner that does not tolerate racism and that takes accountability for your actions and that shows that you're genuinely about unity for all races or we might have to make a decision and that means you might be cut. Whether Deshaun meets that criteria to a level that's satisfactory for the Eagles is not my decision that's on the organization to decide. But personally, I'm disappointed in how all of this has gone down and continues to unfold. And I'm disappointed in the rationale that some have applied to this fiasco. The main takeaway, of course, is courting Hitler is insanely stupid. Uh, Ben, anything to add there or should we just get on with actual football?
2: No, I think that, right, number one, if your organization is handling hate speech from a player in the same way in 2014, or the same way in 2020 as they did in 2014. Was it 2013 with Cooper?
1: 2013, yeah.
2: 2013. That's bad. Yeah. Whether regardless of what happened in 2013, good, you know, good response or bad response. If they have not changed the procedure, changed the people that they turn to for guidance, uh, changed the the public face of that, and the private work of that then in the last 7 years there's been a lot of work that's been done that's not that's fallen on deaf ears here so i think it it is very important that Deshaun is not taken within the light of Cooper that's so one number two this is really really terrible and this is really really sad for so many levels and in and in so many ways and it's disappointing because as with all things it feels like you make one step of progress the awareness of, of the Black Lives Matter movement in the NFL, the awareness of the blackballing of Colin Kaepernick, the willingness to do more. And then you uncover a new problem, which is what is apparently a, a, a rampant, a widespread, a, a generally accepted anti-Semitic view among black athletes in the NFL and in the NBA. So it's it's disheartening, it's frustrating, and it's scary. That which applied previously in the times of Black athletes saying that we need to have more respect for Black lives and for the struggle of Black lives applies currently when the uh-huh. Jewish community asks that Black athletes have a greater understanding and and willingness to accept the truth of the struggles of the Jewish community and and their perils in the past and in now, which is be silent, listen, be merciful, and learn. So yep. again, if if you start by saying because of Riley Cooper, I'm not interested. And really, even if you start with, well, because of Black Lives Matter three weeks ago, I'm probably also, again, still not interested. Deshaun said something terrible. A lot of people told Deshaun he said something terrible. He apologized for it publicly. There are reports that he apologized for it privately to the leaders of the organization, Howie and Jeffrey Lurie, both of whom are Jewish. And there's reports that he's going to do further work beyond making just a public apology to make sure that he understands why what he did what he said, what he shared was terrible. That's what's happening. Let it be. Hope that Deshaun learns. Hope that through Deshaun learning, Steven Jackson and Malik Jackson, Marquise Goodwin learn. That's the power that we have. Be quiet. Be merciful. Be supportive. Try our best to be understanding.
3: Well
1: said, Ben. So with that, let's move on to some actual on-field football. Ben, You wrote an article for BleedingGreenNation.com asking the question, should the Eagles trade for 49ers running back Raheem Mostert, who is seeking a trade because the 49ers won't budge on paying him equal or around equal to the other higher paid backs on their roster, including Tevin Coleman, uh, which is something like 4.5 mil is is what he's reportedly seeking. And the 49ers, by the way, currently lead the league in their expenditure – on the combination of running backs and fullbacks, with 20.2 mil on the cap this year at those positions hmm. combined, that's a lot of money. So you yeah, can see how much f- of that is use, chick. Yeah, use is making some money, brother. And he and I mean, he's he's a doggone good football player that you can utilize in the passing game. So I don't hate it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mostert <laughs> himself has two years left on his deal. He is set to make 2.5 mil this year uh, per PFF. He led the league in broken tackles during the 49ers playoff run to the Super Bowl. Also led the league in the regular season in yards per carry with 5.6 a tote. Uh, ben, super talented back that I'd love to see as a one-two punch with Miles Sanders and as part of a committee with Boston Scott as well. But the Eagles may have to wait for the price to drop, uh, either from a trade compensation front and or the financials, because those are obvious hurdles to clear right now. And as such, in the poll in the article that you wrote, of the fan base had voted no to trading for Mostert because, I mean, what are we, Bill O'Brien? Come on. So, Ben, uh, your thoughts on this possibility.
2: Yeah, so we we start with this conversation. How much would you trade for and then pay a running back who will not be your primary running back? Right. right? With no names and no situation attached to it. That in and of itself is like, well, I'm not sending much. Like, I, I sent a fifth for Jordan Howard and Howard was my running back one for a period of time, and I think Howard's had a, a more productive career to this point than, than Mostert could claim to have, even with Mostert's success at the end of last season, so we're talking about a five, we're talking about a six. We're also going to bring, like you said, $2.5 million onto the cap in order to do this, and the Eagles' objective for pretty much since we learned that Corona was going to screw with future years caps has been to not spend money, right? Like, Brandon Brooks goes down. Matt Pryor, you are up. Yes, Larry Warford is on the market. Yes, Matt Person was on the market, but we can't yep. be out here spending money,
1: right? We want to roll over as much as we can if I think it's $24 million in cap space right now to exactly. limit.
2: Right, the Eagles are second lowest in the NFL right now in cap space for 2021 in that right. they are currently $50 million over the projected cap ceiling. That cap ceiling's projection is... Accounts, zero, none, not at all for any lost revenue for coronavirus from the 2020 NFL season. I'm here to tell you that there will be lost revenue from the coronavirus for the 2020 <laughs> season. So you expect an impact on future cap ceilings as the cap ceiling is tied to the revenue of the league, which means that the Eagles could be more than 50 million in the hole and very likely are more than 50 million in the hole. So they got to start making uh, planning as if they're going to be in legitimate cap hell. Not like the cap hell that Harry Roseman finagles his way out of, actual cap suffering right. uh, for at least the next couple of years. So, Mostert, who is asking for more than the $3.5 million. I believe his request was to be at least the highest paid running back on the San Francisco roster, which is currently Tevin Coleman making like four point nine. So, Mostert's right. looking for at least $5 mil from San Fran. Even if Philadelphia were to trade for him, they would not want to give him a pay bump. Uh, and they're not in a position to give him a pay bump. So the money is almost insurmountable. Now, if we pretend that's not real, Raheem Mostert's a pretty good fit. Uh, um, yeah, yeah <laughs> great uh, fit, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. I mean, the special teams uh, uh, ability and the background, which Eagles fans already know about from his time here in 2015, means that he can stick on the depth chart with Boston Scott and Corey Clement, both of whom are also special teamers. He's got, as we saw, explosiveness. He can run outside zone stuff. The Eagles might be incorporating more outside zone because they brought in Rich Gangarella, who was Kyle Shanahan's passing game coordinator and does have some of that wide zone background to him. And now he's an offensive assistant with the Eagles. And so if they want to use more of those running concepts, and I wrote about all of this, how much of the Kyle Shanahan offense with the Eagles steal? If they want to incorporate more of those running concepts, they know most or can be good at them. Whereas like Sanders and Boston Scott and Corey Clement, they don't really have a ton of experience running those ideas. So it would make sense from a scheme perspective. It would make sense from a talent perspective. I would guess he would be running back two over Boston Scott uh, the the moment that he stepped in, and that would be his job to lose. So scheme fit makes sense. Football fit makes sense. Yes, the Eagles need another running back, or at least they think they do. The fact that you would have to give a pick to pay a guy makes him less enticing to me than a guy you would just have to pay, namely a Devonta Freeman or a LeSean McCoy and Isaiah Crowell, who you could probably even get like Crowell or LeSean under the $2.5 million that Mostert would be even without the pay bump. Doesn't seem likely. Fits good. Very happy for Raheem, who I wanted the Eagles to keep on the roster in twenty fifteen.
1: Yeah.
2: Hope that he gets his money from San Fran. Not sure that he will.
1: This is the most leverage he's had ever. Yeah. And, and it's like none.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it well it's very funny in. because like his uh agent in the tweet was like this he led the NFL in yards per carry. Right? And it's like yeah. he did. And it's funny because most has had four seasons in which he's had like one carry. Right? Like he had like 17 <laughs> carries last year yeah. didn't leave the NFL in yards per carry then but the one year he's got like 100 carries he's like insanely efficient which is not how that usually goes um yep. so yeah Mostert was the Matt breed of last year or this year right I mean he was mm. the guy that that Kyle Shanahan in that system made to look like a really good runner and you don't blame him for trying to get his money now but you also don't blame San Francisco for being like we can make more of you because Kyle Shanahan's done it in the past, and he's probably going to do it again. So, yep. understandable that they're at an impasse there. I would love for a stupid team to trade for Monster and pay him some money. Not because Mostert's bad, just because that's not generally a good team-building procedure. Um, just because I like Raheem Mostert, I want him to get paid. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I agree. You can you can root for him and also say, hmm, maybe, maybe we won't go down that road. I just realized, two of the past three shows, we have spent a lot of time on the running back position. Yeah,
2: because they matter, Mike. Do
1: they? I don't know.
2: Yes. No. I will just say, like, you know, I'm, I, as you very well know, I'm not 100% on the let's give Miles Sanders all of the touches train. Hmm. And I'm also not very well in the like Boston's cause of proven running back two train. So I would not. I'm very in on this idea of adding more talent to the running back yes. room. I think that would be a good idea. Yeah, I agree. I like Raheem. I would love for it to be Raheem. I just the Eagles' cap situation is suffocating right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's definitely uh, prohibitive. So we'll see what happens. I doubt the Eagles make a move. It would be nice, but it all depends on the compensation, uh, both from the the trade aspect and from the financial. So when we come back here on the Kist and Solak show, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to focus on something that does matter, uh, which is analytics, and we're going to see how the uh, Eagles' offense stacks up against the league in their leveraging of those analytics. That's coming up next. And we are back here on The Kissed and Solak Show, episode 186, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak.
2: Mike, I have something to tell you.
1: Yeah, go ahead, man.
2: I realized something today. Oh, boy. Analytics, right? Mm. What do they tell you to do on fourth down? Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Well, this year, college football conferences are trying to figure out whether or not to have the season in the fall or push it to the spring, right? Right. And mm-hmm. the Ivy League has decided to push it to the spring. First conference to do so. And I saw an article, which was like, they've decided to punt the season. And I <laughs> realized this is the first time the analytics says it to punt. Bad. The analytics <laughs> the analytics here being, We're, you have 60,000 new cases. Uh, this is yeah. bad.
1: A record and the decision being,
2: the should we go for it? Should we punt? And they punted the season. The analytics say to punt. Somebody tell... O'Brien, this is the best news he's heard forever.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, man, and yeah, it's going to be weird with the NFL too, which is something that we're going to have to talk about soon in, in terms of you know the different measures they're taking for safety and, and all that, and whether or not we think the season's going to go off as planned for the 17 weeks. So that's something that we do have to talk about soon. Uh, but it's in terms of actual analytics when it comes to the on field play, uh, Hayden Winks of Roto World had a uh, great article today. That ranked every NFL offense for their use of analytics. There were several categories that went into this, including like fourth down aggressiveness, play action rate, pass and run rates in certain situations. And the list really isn't that surprising if you've been paying attention to the organizations that are investing heavily in analytics. For example, coming in first were the Baltimore Ravens, and they've stocked their cupboards full of nerds recently uh, this ranking is despite having heavy, heavy run rates on early downs and while trailing, which are considered negatives, but are obviously more justifiable when you consider why they run with Lamar yeah, the Jackson Ravens had
2: the first run offense that had like a positive <laughs> EPA in like years or something. Right. So like even the oh, right. running is analytics supported.
1: Yeah, it's just the construction of their offense. And it's very successful. So it's hard to argue with it. You know, that's the outlier right there. They were also first. In fourth down aggressiveness, first in shotgun run rate, first in middle of the field pass rate, first in play action frequency, third in pre-snap motion, and so on. So they scored very well in a lot of different categories that affects this ranking. Uh, So again, no surprise there. In second was Andy Reid and the Chiefs, which is to be expected. Third were the Patriots, which if you don't think Bill Belichick is just trolling when he brushes off analytics in his press conferences like he's never heard of them before – This guy, I I really think that he's been at the forefront of this movement for a long time and as such is one of the trickiest when it comes to other coaches trying to nail down his tendencies because he flubs his own offense's numbers all the time just to mess with people. Uh, At fourth and fifth, you have Sean McVay and Sean Payton, so Rams and Saints. McVay would be higher, but he's a coward, as we've noted before, coming in 26th in fourth down aggressiveness. And then you have the Eagles and Doug Peterson at sixth. So let's kind of break down the good and the bad here. And I'll just quote from, from Winx's article here. Quote, Peterson does a lot of things right. He's aggressive on fourth downs, where they rank second. Uses play action at a higher rate, seventh. And lets his running backs find space by rushing to the outside, where they rank third. And from shotgun, where they ranked eighth. Still, there's room for some improvement. Of course, the Eagles receivers injuries affected this last year. But Philly shouldn't have been 31st in pass rate while trailing in 2019. Nor should they have been using pre snap motion at the 26th highest rate. With more speed at receiver, Peterson could increase the Eagles' rankings in both metrics, which would vault them into tier one next offseason. End mm-hmm. quote. And and I pretty much agree with this, Ben. This is something that we talked about throughout the season, and this happened before like the big rash of injuries hit. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson hurt, happened you know week after week one, but even in the early parts of the season where they weren't playing guys like Deontay Burnett. The Eagles were a very run-heavy team in some wow, weird situations. Wow, Deontay
2: Burnett catching an amazing stray right there. Could have gone with Robert Davis, <laughs> Shelton Gibson, Greg Ward, though, people would have been upset about that. Either way, just yeah. poor Deontay Burnett. He caught that deep bomb against the, uh, the Giants, man. Leave him alone. Good kid.
1: Yeah. But obviously, it was something that surprised us. So it's not just the receivers. So when you're looking at what you want to see from the Eagles, I mean, this is something that we talked about before, too. Adding pre-snap motion to give information to Carson Wentz before the snap as far as coverage indicators and things like that is definitely something that's high on the list. Ben, any takeaways from from this whole glut of information I just threw at you?
2: Yeah, so I think... The first thing I'd like to open up with is the acknowledgement that Hayden, who's a really good writer, really good follow, and, and is, is an important guy to follow, uh, that he makes in the top, which is this this paragraph that he has before he lists the guys. Uh, he says, I have to point out one more thing before we get to the rankings. There's a massive difference between an offense actually using analytics versus just having a scheme that's correlated with analytics. Because there hmm. is a bit of like a circuitous logic here, which is that like the analytics likes things that, in general give you more value per play and they give you more value per play because they're more likely to win and they make you more likely to win. And so the winningest coaches are also trying to, you know, like the best coaches are also trying to win a lot of games. And so they're going to do the things that they believe it makes them most likely to win the game, which means bring the most value per play, which means it's supported by analytics. So it's a little bit like the top of this list is like John Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, Doug Peterson. If you may, if you asked somebody who was not an analytics guy to be like, "Hey, list the best coaches in the NFL," like you'd get a lot of these guys, right? And then you also get like Pete Carroll, who's thirtieth, who I, we acknowledge, right? Like, like right, isn't isn't great, but it is to say there's a little bit of a of a vicious circle that happens here. How much is Sean McVay doing analytics, and how much is Sean McVay just doing what has worked in the West Coast offense that he's been taught? Because right. like that front office sucks at analytics. That front yep. office was like, let's give a ton of money to Jared Goff and Todd Gurley, which analytics would not be a bad idea. Bad, right? So a little bit there that's like tricky to work around.
1: And like the easiest thing you can do to leverage analytics is fourth down aggressiveness where, like I said, McVeigh ranks horribly.
2: Yeah, right. I think that, right. I think that's that's what's most interesting because like it's the categories that Peterson's good in. So like fourth down aggressiveness, play action rate, he's really, really good at, right? And I think that those are the two biggest things, right? And then you look at downfield pass rate pass rate on early downs and that and the, the Eagles are 10th in pass rate on early downs and 23rd on downfield pass rate i would bet with better wide receivers both of those are higher like oh, i'd yeah. be i'd be very confident that's the one thing with peterson is like last year we were like why is he running it so much on first and 10 like what what are we doing like second yeah. and 10 he's just out here running the football and it's just like this makes no sense relative to the guy that we know which just wants to throw the ball around the field if you look at Andy like Andy's first and pass rate on early downs and sixth and downfield pass rate right there's no reason for Peterson to be as low as he is in both those categories if not for the fact that just Eagles did not have the wide receivers to leave Carson Wentz in the pocket and try to get downfield passes so there's that so that 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 category is the one where I think with that with better wide receivers that solves that problem which brings us to pass rate while trailing in which he was 31st which is gross (laughs)
1: gross <laughs>
2: nuts to me right that's crazy insane i don't even know like to me like <laughs> wide receiver doesn't excuse that right don't I really care if you have a wide receiver you got to be out here throwing the football when you're losing right and the eagles right. had so many games in which they were down multiple possessions and like eeked back into it just at the end of the game to make it a one possession game and it's like what could have happened if they went a little bit faster paced which right. anybody who follows me on Twitter, whenever I tweet out my halftime thoughts, knows that my solution for the offense every single time is <laughs> let's go some more no huddle, right? Because I just yeah. pace solves a lot of problems. So that's the one that stands out to me that I'm very confused about with Doug. The other one that's very interesting to me is that the Eagles are third in outside run rate. I would not have guessed that at all. I would have guessed right, that yeah. in the middle of the pack. Because there's, mm-hmm. like the Eagles do not use the wide zone offense the way that other teams in the league have been using it and been trying to steal it and been trying to to, hit, to incorporate it into their offensive system the eagles have not to this point they might this year
1: there's just their outside running game is more like pin pull stuff to to get to the edges right In, yeah. instead of like the outside zone
2: pin pull stuff and then also i would guess like a lot of their rpo stuff becomes mm. outside runs because like if you're crashing with with your you know if you're a if you're double teaming backside guard backside tackle and then just pulling you know like say malo, right, let a right. guard kick out block, right, and you're not having him go more one yard beyond, and they tag that with, like, a slant behind it, like, to me, I get, like, I would guess that sometimes that becomes an outside run, they also, like, did more, a little bit more, like, pitches and stuff with, with Sanders, you know, like, a little more option-y stuff as well, but, like, not enough that I would have guessed that they would have been third in outside run rate, so that's surprising yeah. to me, that one's surprising to me, so the two that stood out to me were the really good outside run rate, which I did not think they were going to be, which we should say, the reason that that's, Uh, analytically support is just there's obviously more space on the outside and so you're more likely an explosive run when you're running off tackle than between the tackles between the tackles you have to get the blocking scheme exactly right which is tough Um, And then pass rate while trailing being so low is surprising to me. So those are the two areas that that stood out. Everything else was kind of like what I expected for 2019.
1: Yeah, and I expect 2020 to them to involve some more pre-snap motion. I was just looking at the list and I noticed, you know, if there's any case for analytics, look at 31st and 32nd. It's the Jaguars and it's Washington, two of the teams that are most likely to win zero games per Vegas odds.
2: And that's what it is. It's just like, you know, like the good coaches are at the top and the bottom coaches are the worst coaches are at the bottom. And that's a little bit because the good coaches use analytics, but it's also a little bit because the good coaches are just good coaches right you know what yeah. i mean like, like again like mcveigh like even like andy a little bit where it's like andy's always been nuts about passing are we right. sure it's because the <laughs> analytics department i think it's because right. andy's always just been nuts about passing and yeah. and like and if andy is like intuitively believed that's how he's more likely to win football games all the power to you all analytics is doing is using data to tell us algorithmically what's better for us for winning a good coach is able to intuit Right. infer those ideas before it even gets put in the data, right? Um, right? So that, you know, all the more power to Andy. It's not to say he's not a smart dude. I'm just saying, like, I don't think Andy needed nerds to be like, go throw the football. I think Andy was always like, listen, brother, we're about to chuck this pill around the yard a little bit.
1: Right like he 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 likes six different cheeses in his mac and cheese and then the analytics came out and said that you know six is a great number for mac and cheese and he's just like yeah like that's just how it is but he like even like the the good coaches like you mentioned Pete Carroll they could the Seahawks coming in 30th but the Seahawks really could be in a better situation if right. they leveraged analytics more because they're always in these games that they shouldn't be in and if they're they're getting these small advantages they're just passing them up and that's why i think they're in these weird Tight games like a one-score game right. with the you know with the McCown-led Eagles, you know if they the would have just
2: Bengals in week two nearly beat the right. Seahawks and then the Bengals end up with the first overall pick and the Seahawks like an <laughs> NFC divisional <laughs> round team and it's like why and this is what this is what it is like they need to leverage analytics more so the Ravens the analytics tell them your running game is really 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 good it's much better mm. than all the running games and some of the reason why. Is because of the other stuff the Ravens do. Seth Walder of ESPN, I believe it is. It might be somebody else, has a little graph out of like the percentage of snaps on which a team used pre snap motion. And it's like, yeah, it is Seth Walder. And there's, you know, 36 teams that used it between zero and 5% of the time. 45 teams used it between 5 and 10% of the time. Six teams between 10 and 15. Eight teams between 15 and 20. And then there's one team between 35 and 40% of their snaps. And it's the 2019 Ravens, right? So. <laughs> The offense, the running game, which analytics typically says you need to run less and pass more because passing is more efficient than running, You're more likely to score on a drive. The analytics also says preset motion helps on almost every play and so the Ravens use a lot of pre-snap motion and it helps open up their running game with Lamar Jackson considered they have like three of the top 15 EPA runners in the league or something like that on their roster right so so the running game has become extremely good for them so the analytics is very fine with the Ravens running the football in a lot of situations which they would not want other teams to run the football because of the success of their running team they're running Mm -hmm. which is to say Pete Carroll and the Seahawks who also want to run the football do not have the same effective running game that the Ravens do. Right. And so it, again, this this is what it, it, like, you know. the analytics, they have to listen more to analytics. What's analytics saying? Analytics is just saying, take that at which you're efficient and do it more. Mm. It's Just saying, this is what you're good at. Now do it. The Seahawks for 10 years have been good at throwing the ball with Russell Wilson. <laughs> it's that they don't do it enough. It's that they want to do it more. And so this is, you know, people say like, the Seahawks have, have been a good team for the last 10 years. Yes. Yep. Despite, in spite <laughs> of. Right. Regardless of overcoming the fact that yep. they don't do what they're good at, what's making them win games enough. And so what Andy Reid intuits, I should pass the ball more, P.K.L. is blind to. P.K.L., right. I'm winning the game because I'm establishing the run. Really, it doesn't seem like it. It yeah. seems like you're... Because Russell Wilson is supremely talented. Right. Uh, and you should give him the opportunity to be supremely talented more. And then people go into play style things. Oh, uh, Russell's the sort of, of quarterback who needs a running game. <laughs> what does this yeah. mean? <laughs> what, what does, does this mean? English. Like, there there <laughs> are things that cannot be captured by analytics. I'm very much so like momentum is a thing and like it's very hard to capture it. Whatever. You can't be like, is the sort of quarterback that needs a running game. I don't even know where to begin... <laughs> like identifying the traits and proving that concept so this is just it's it's hudda it's nonsense it's just total it's like it's just you're talking out of your butt just stop yep. it russ is a good quarterback let russ cook is the yep. moral of the story so alex says do what you're gonna do what is effective the coaches who naturally do what they're effective are good coaches The coaches who listen to nerds who tell them to do things that are more effective are really good coaches john harbaugh is the bomb Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
1: If you're wondering who else and where else the NOC East ranks in this, the Giants were 26. Obviously, they are under a new coach, not new management. They've got some new computer folk, though. Uh, And then also the Cowboys were eighth with uh, new offensive coordinator Kellen Moore uh, further cementing his status as a pretty doggone good quarterback and uh, or quarterback not quarterback, offensive coordinator uh, for that offense that they definitely should have kept and did keep to the uh, detriment of the Eagles, unfortunately. Ben, uh, any other thoughts on this or any other thoughts in general before we hit the old uh, dusty trail?
2: People have been talking about 12 personnel today. Mm, Have they? Yeah, Doug Farrar, uh, who writes for the Touchdown Wire, I believe, had a a tweet where he was like, not only is Nickel played more often league-wide, than base but also dime is played more league-wide than base right yeah cool (laughs) but no but like this always like so like oh so do this and do that and then you should run this you should try to do that and get that against this. play matchups win matchups you play dime against the eagles they're going to beat you out of 12 personnel
1: it's just uh,
2: that i want to just i want the artwork for our podcast to change from the bgn logo and to just instead be in like big red letters matchups not scheme talent yeah right it's it's matchups it's just matchups dime personnel listen malcolm jenkins is a linebacker he's not a safety like i don't know what you want from me matchup's not right. personnel anyway thanks for pl- thanks for coming that's uh, of
1: show. Good job. i've always had issues charting the eagles defense recently because of what they do with their safeties and avante maddox is like do you do you mark it as like big dime or is it not die- like like what you can't is it? Like mark you said, any personnel
2: matter. package that avante maddox is in as big
1: <laughs> exactly that's what i mean but is he technically a safety <laughs> is he in a safety role it's weird but like also like like you said with matchups you know, the, the the Packers tried to run dime against the Eagles the entire game, and they got the ball shoved down their throat, and that's, that's where it right. makes sense to to run more 12. You know, if you're running a team that's running base all the time, why wouldn't you run 11 personnel against them and stretch them out and, right. you know, out, just out-athlete them? So definitely matchups uh, matter and come into play with that week-to-week thing. That's why Belichick is uh, so good at what he does in leveraging the analytics to exploit those matchups. Right. It's, anyway, it's, that was a weird callback.
2: Just, it's draft. No, no, no. Draft guys are really good, period. Yeah. Draft a guy who's extremely good against the run and only play him on two downs at linebacker. Draft a guy who's extremely good in man coverage and play him at three downs at outside corner. But once you start talking about safeties, about overhangs, about nickel corners, boy, better be good against the pass and good against the run. Boy better be able to play zone and man against multiple body types. Because if you put out six true defensive backs, the NFL will run the football down your throat you put out three true linebackers the nfl will pass the football all over your defense
1: you imagine three tj edwards out there trying right. to try to so it, pass. It's,
2: it's, it's very like it's just like you know like this is matchups with the prevalence of the rpo with the ability for quarterbacks to check at the line of scrimmage with matchup nightmare with tight ends being such a huge part of the receiving game with running backs being a huge part of the receiving game you cannot play a structured defense anymore you have to be able to muddy the lines and if not yep. We're going to beat you up and down the yard. Shout out, Greg Williams.
1: Ben, that'll do it for the Kissed and Solak like Show. Would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners?
2: Yeah, guys. Thank you as always for listening to the Kissed and Solak like Show. Here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was the Deshaun Jackson Raheem Mostert Analytics Podcast. Three things that go together, just like peanut butter, jelly, and bread. Other
1: kind of jelly. Bread. Yeah, bread. There you go. <laughs> uh,
2: your mouth, I guess. Yeah. Uh, do you know, other famous trios? <laughs> uh, but no, this this was uh, everything that's happening at Eagles News up to this point. As we were recording this today, more of uh, Tom Pelissero and Albert Breer sharing the limits on jersey swabs and the limits on post game interaction and how the bench system is going to work as the NFL continues to publicize their plans for dealing with a coronavirus season. Uh, and obviously at Bleeding Green Nation, despite the fact that we don't have training camp to attend, despite the fact that we may not have preseason games to cover, we continue to cover everything that is happening in the league and in Eagles news for you. So if you're not subscribed to the podcast feed, please go ahead and click that button on whatever app you listen to your podcast. If you enjoy the shows, please go ahead and leave a five-star rating and a review. Wherever you listen to your podcast, He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL K-S-T. I've been Benjamin Zolak on Twitter, at Benjamin Zolak. That's S O L A K. God knows what's going to happen next, fellas. So just whenever there's a podcast to be had, there'll be a podcast, and it'll be good.
1: We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles Fly.